podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jack Blackman praised the takes behind the stumps, and he himself was known as the Prince of Glovemen. In fact, the following season, Wisden would name him the wicketkeeper of the year. Blackman was Australia's first keeper in tests, and because he was picked, Fred Spotheth actually refused to play, believing his teammate Billy Murdoch should have got the gloves instead. However, when Spotheth saw Blackham take the ball, he knew he was wrong. Also, Blackham was so good that he was the only cricketer to play each of the first 17 test matches in history. And yet, in this situation, Blackham was so impressed by the wicketkeeping he saw that he referred to the glove player as my rival wicketkeeper and emphasised the skill it took to take the short balls that had made other wicketkeepers retire. The thing about all this is that it was in the 1890s and the keeper in question was not a professional, but a woman named Mabel Gazard. And it wasn't just the prince shouting her game. This is what the Argus newspaper wrote. Blackham at his best would have envied the ease at which the lady behind the wickets, or more properly speaking, her skirts, stopped all balls passing the batsman. Not sure why they really needed to mention her skirt, as Blackham had already said how good she was. But this all gets weirder still, as the team that Mabel Gazard was playing for was not some big side. They were called the Forget-Me-Nots Cricket Club, a team from rural Australia in a city named Warnable, which is the kind of place that you have to go to on purpose. It's kind of halfway between Melbourne and Adelaide, except you would never travel via Warnable to get to Melbourne or Adelaide. They have whales and a horse racing carnival that used to have a song that went, Warnable, Warnable, we all love Warnable. It's not a big place. And in 1900, so 10 years after the Mabel Gazard takes, the estimated population was 6,000 people. And I mentioned that number for a couple of reasons. One is that the Forget-Me-Nots Cricket Club played in front of a crowd of 2,000 people. This is Double Century, the podcast on the history of cricket. This season, I wanted to visit some of the weirdest stories in our game. Cricket has a unique ability to meld itself into cultures, even outside of sport, and produce wild tales. So this season will include the theatre, sausages, dogs, and perhaps the most famous disability match ever played by sailors. This episode is on the two famous games that the Forget-Me-Nots cricket team played. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The Forget-Me-Nots were known as the outstanding women's team of the late 1890s, who regularly beat teams across genders, though to be fair, some of their male oppositions were rarely of the strongest sides. In February 1897, for example, they comfortably beat a men's side, the Benedicts of Allensford. In fact, disgracefully defeated was what the Argus headline wrote. The match started in dramatic fashion, with the Forget-Me-Nots opener being clean-bowled by her husband, but they scored 95 The lady dismissed by her husband now caught him out. 
The men were then bowled out for a mere 44 and were treated to afternoon tea and apparently oceans of sympathy. The Riverine Herald reported that in all-round play, the ladies were infinitely superior to them. With proper surroundings, such as a nice green turf, ladies' cricket would soon become very popular and would be much more attractive to onlookers than tennis. In true Australian style, the women were quite vocal as well. Their remarks ranging from, back up there, Liz, well hit, old girl, to sledges along the lines of, do better, Dan, or I would do that if I was asleep. The forget-me-nots found worthy rivals in Seafoam and Narandra Club. To quote the Argus, people travelled many miles over bush tracks in order to witness the game, and they even preferred watching the ladies at cricket to the excitement of the race meeting in the district. That's a fairly big thing in that area, as horse racing is a massive part of culture down there. And the fans all arrived in full supporters' attire too. The male supporters of the forget-me-nots carried bouquets of the same flower, while the women placed them on their hats. Seafoam fans donned green ribbons and carried green flags, though it's not exactly clear why. They all got carried away a bit as well. The Argus quoted Reverend Clough, who was highly disappointed at the crowd's barracking, stating that it was distasteful to all the players and expressing that in his opinion, if this continued, it would kill ladies' cricket. Applause was one thing, but barracking was another. And it was a great pity that the ladies could not meet together for a friendly game without being subjected to such annoyance. I think if that tells you anything, though, that it's the people were actually into this as a sporting event. There wasn't the novelty of some of the other women's games of that period. The tickets were charged at 6p each. The 2,000-plus attendance was more than some international matches around that time. The gate money went to the Indian Famine Relief Fund and a widow whose husband had recently drowned. In another match in April, the forget-me-nots soundly beat the Belltoppers, another team of Warnable. The women scored 74, of which Ruby Gazard we're going to assume is related to Mabel Gassard, got 25 runs. They then went on to bowl out the male side for 32 runs in front of 1,000 men. But there was one major game. The contest in question was a bit more of a light-hearted nature, but the forget-me-nots had their usual turnover of 1,000 fans. The opposition were an all-male team, all of whom had to satisfy one condition. Every single one of them had to be over the age of 50 or over 15 stones, which is 95.3 kilograms. In total, 11 men were procured. Most of them could lay claim to both qualifications, according to the Maitland Weekly Mercury. Their wicketkeeper was not 50, but weighed 18 stones, and the long stop, 17 stones. This is one of those rare instances where the body mass of cricketers, and not their names, were what was mentioned in the newspaper reports. And if that isn't weird enough, the men actually got some extra help. They had a dog fielding for them. Now, you might be aware that this isn't the only story of a dog fielding in old cricket games. In fact, I think we've done entire podcasts about it before. And in almost every story about a dog being a fielder in a cricket game, they are absolute superstars. Jaunty Rhodes with fur. In fact, I've said this before, modern cricket has missed a trick here. Three whippets in the ring could be very handy. In this game, the ladies took strike on a matting wicket. The bowls were changed around generously, and it surprisingly worked, and the forget-me-nots were soon reduced to 25 for four. That's when Lily Wilson and Mary Kinnear came together and they made 31 and 32 respectively. It meant that the forget-me-nots were bowled out for 101 and as the fielders left the ground, one of the men boasted, we'll soon knock up over 100 runs. We can hit their hopper kickers away to the boundary. Things had not quite turned out that way. A portly auctioneer and a well-known chemist opened the batting and sure enough, the men, who were known as the chimney pots, were left reeling at five for three. At this stage, the wicketkeeper giant of a man walked out and got involved in something dramatic first ball. 
He commenced by losing his balance and then falling over the bat, but he had the presence of mind to roll over again, and somehow he managed to not be stumped. Weirdly enough, he would remain unbeaten on seven, as his men in the chimney pots crashed to 19 all out. The women then asked them to bat again, and this time the chimney pots only got 17 runs, with Lily Wilson taking a spectacular 7-4-2. The forget-me-nots won by an innings and 65 runs. And as you can probably imagine, the men, the chimney pots, were in no mood to accept the defeat lying down. They challenged the forget-me-nots to a return match. The men this time arrived in top hats and 10 black and one white, accompanied by a brass band and followed by hundreds in buggies and cycles. The men won the toss, but they allowed the women to choose. So the forget-me-nots decided to bat first. Ruby Gazard made 25 and they made 74 in total. And then the men went out and they made 32. After the game, the forget-me-nots went around collecting funds from the crowd for an iron tank for the Allenson Mechanics Institute, a small area in Warnable. Once that was done, they entertained their guests to a sumptuous dinner. And just before the men began their journey back home, their top scorer received a gift from the forget-me-nots captain, F.V. Bilson. It was a big sausage tied with forget-me-not streamers. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast was made entirely possible by our supporters at Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Sports Social Podcast Network. Living a busy, full life? MitoQ is a science-based cell health supplement that helps your cells generate renewable daily energy. Discover more at MitoQ.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.